Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by PayPal. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV and the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Zach Seward. That's with the O, Jen Sinassi, Will Foxley. And we have some breaking news. Some big news. Just came out. Major developing story. SEC sues Binance. That's the world's largest crypto exchange now squarely within the sites of the U.S. securities regulator. Now, there are 13 charges here, many of which stem from the trading of what are alleged to be unregistered securities, in addition to some other alleged misdeeds on the part of Binance and key executives. A lot to unpack here. I'm going to toss it to Wendy O for her initial thoughts. Wendy, what do you think? So I do think that this was kind of expected because the SEC loves to go back retroactively and punish people for alleged bad things they did when they're too lazy to go ahead and institute any types of laws, regulations, or guidelines. But what's very interesting about this story is Patrick Kilman, who is the chief comms officer at Binance, uh, he went ahead and just tweeted this. For every journalist calling and asking, bizarrely, we have not even been given a copy of the complaint ourselves. Smart PR move to rob us of our right to defend ourselves publicly. So there's a little bit of conflicting information that's going on on the internet right now. And this does sound like behavior that the SEC would do. So it's very upsetting to hear that they weren't properly given notice, but it's now like viral on the internet. So that's my thoughts on it. Well, yeah, digging into the meat of the story, uh, there's a lot in the line here. And we, we've seen a lot of these SEC stories in the past, and it's confusing to know like where things are going to end up because these are ongoing litigation cases, right? So we, like, we don't have like firm information about what the courts are going to decide when this goes to trial or as this progresses, if there's a settlement. Uh, but we do know some hard facts within this case, which is the SEC sees the BUSD token, sees BNB token, sees Matic, Solana, a few other tokens that are notable and basically household names at this point as securities. So what could that mean? Well, at the very least, it means that US investors probably should stay away from these in the eyes of the SEC. And a lot of people over the last two or three years have invested in these tokens quite a bit. Solana went on a huge bull run in 2021. And now it's listed in this documentation, BNB, which has been sort of like a quasi security for Binance. Binance trying to be separate from the rest of the US. So kind of use it as a security token, you know, you purchase it and you got some revenue based on like how the trading volumes were going like that. It's listed here. I think Binance would disagree, especially because it's outside the jurisdiction of the US. 
But in this case, the SEC doesn't think so. And one really key fact here is that they're bringing up the geolocation of residents again, right? In, in the documentation, in this report, which you can go read on Coindesk, go read the article on Coindesk. You can see that they talk about how U.S. citizens were being served by Binance, even after that 2019 breaking between Binance and Binance U.S. Looks like executives, including CZ, told everyone at Binance to continue serving high-profile U.S. clients, which is a big problem for Binance. The one thing I'm curious about with this is the separation between where Binance was and where Binance is going in the future. We'll get into that with the next story with a possible new hiring and future CEO. They're sort of like preparing for a role. Uh, but I do think that sort of comes into the story, right? A lot of these crypto companies moved hard and fast and broke things, and they're going to have to pay for doing so. But if they can survive past that judgment, then there's a future for them. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to remember us talking about a story about Binance customer service representatives helping people who live in different jurisdictions to access the platform. This obviously, I don't think when we spoke about it, it was the US, but it's interesting to see those parallels that the SEC was kind of looking into executives at Binance, overlooking some of the processes that were in place or allegedly overlooking some of the processes that were in place to allow them access to Binance.com. This story is interesting to me when we juxtapose it against the story we spoke about on First Mover this morning. So Nick Day talked to us about a draft bill that was released on Friday. It's called the Crypto Oversight Proposal. It's a Republican bill that looks to get the CFTC and the SEC on the same page, sort out a bunch of the issues that we talk about on this show every day. And what's really interesting about this draft bill is this safe harbor element. And so the bill calls for the safe harbor timeline where firms, investors can continue to act as is until rules are set for the CFTC and the SEC. So to see that happening at Congress and then to see the SEC go out there and sue all of the big crypto firms in the U.S., is a really interesting discourse that I think it's just going to be interesting to follow over the next little while, how these two very kind of different ways of looking at regulation in the US play out. Zach? Yeah, I mean, we saw the SEC go after Coinbase. Of course, they're going to go after Binance as well. Obviously, if it touches a US investor, they think that it's in within their rights to go after these firms. And we've seen it happen time and time again. You know, Gary Gensler is not mincing words in this uh, complaint. He's saying that Binance engaged in, quote, an extensive web of deception, conflicts of interest, lack of disclosure, and calculated evasion of the law, end quote. So the rhetoric is certainly heightened as they announce this thing. I think it's going to be interesting to see if any exchanges follow suit in taking action on the assets that are alleged to be securities. There's a bit of enforcement fatigue, I think, in the industry. If you go back to when the SEC filed suit against Ripple Labs over the issuance of XRP, uh, you saw a bunch of delistings of XRP. I don't know if we're going to see that in turn from some of these major assets that are listed here in this complaint. But I think certainly that is you know, what the SEC is trying to do, establish some case law around what stuff falls within their purview and therefore what can be traded and where, right? Because if these assets get deemed securities, it sort of makes the existing incumbents in the crypto exchange world have to get additional licensure, jump through additional hoops, and therefore a lot of the liquidity dries up as it traditionally exists in these markets. So I think for these projects that are named here, that's really what's at stake, you know, rather than just you know, a cut and dry commodities versus securities designation. So interesting to see ultimately what plays out here. Obviously, a lot of rumors about the future of CZ at Binance as well. We will talk about uh, that shortly. But I want to throw it to Wendy for her thoughts. I don't know. Again, I'm just very frustrated with all of the news that's coming out and how it's always Binance that gets attacked and always gets hit really hard. Like we had all like people from Celsius, they're still out and running. FTX, the people are still out and running. 
But time and time again, we keep hearing mainstream media continue to go after Binance and CZ. So it makes me kind of think like what is actually happening behind the scenes. And again, I'm not saying that they were innocent. I'm not saying that they didn't do anything wrong. It's just very interesting to see how mainstream media is portraying and covering these stories. And again, it's very frustrating because it doesn't feel like it's fair access. Another thing that's very interesting to me, Jen, when you were talking about the bill that was introduced, was it Friday that they brought that the news dropped? It's very interesting because we do know that de- that the Democrats are 100 percent against crypto any way, shape or form. Like we hear Elizabeth Warren, she went out, she came out and said that crypto was part of the problem when it came to a specific illicit substance. And we hear the red side, you know, kind of champion a little bit, but not necessarily. So it's interesting to see politically how this is going to get set up for the next election. I know that I've told my audience I'm voting for whoever is pro crypto or pro Bitcoin. Don't care about the social issues anymore. I've said my piece. Okay, I'll take us away for the next story because we are sticking with Binance. So before this news broke, we learned that Binance appointed Richard Tang to oversee regional markets outside of the US. Tang, who was once a regulator in Abu Dhabi, will be tasked in his new role with overseeing Asia, Europe, the Middle East and North Africa. Some think that Tang is being groomed to take over as CEO from CZ. I believe he was asked in an interview, and he kind of skirted the question. Now that this news has broken, I think that this story is even more relevant, right? When I read the story this morning, before we learned that the SEC was suing Binance, I immediately thought about Canada. Binance left Canada, and then the Ontario securities regulator is still probing for more information. It seems like CZ really wants to act on on his words of giving up more ownership of, of Binance, maybe stepping back, allowing some other leaders to forge the path forward for Binance. But Will, I don't know, what did you think of this? Yeah, this whole story just sort of shows you where Binance is going and where it's been. I actually think that Binance is in a pretty good spot, even with all this SEC stuff going on. Like almost every exchange has been hit with SEC probes, right? So this isn't uncommon. They certainly have a lot of capital to be able to deal with this. Like think of Coinbase, they received the Wells Zone a few months ago. We don't know where that story is going, but we know that's ongoing. Kraken received something for their staking program. Most exchanges are dealing with this at some point. So I think Binance was going to be ready for this when it came. At the same time, they're already making very big moves. Two things to point to. One, this story, the fact that they're bringing this new person to sort of like take over these markets. Sunset CZ possibly let him go on to like the Arthur Hayes part of his journey where he's just a blogger and a crypto investor. Maybe has like a majority stake in Binance and go does his thing. Not saying it's going to happen, but it could be like a pretty predictable timeline here. The second thing here is the fact that Binance has been moving towards France. France has been very open about crypto. A lot of crypto companies have been moving to Paris, seeking protection under their laws. Uh, the new Mika uh, statues in Europe are quite friendly to crypto. It looks like the European Union is really opening their doors to most crypto uh, jobs and most crypto companies. And so I think that Binance actually has a pretty good play here, even if this is a frustrating moment. The US, specifically the SEC, has made it well known that they do not want crypto capital here in the US. They're going to keep hitting away at that. This is, I think, just predictable. And having this new person walk in the door, be able to bring a new face to the company and and start building out operations in a jurisdiction that's friendly is only beneficial for them. Zach? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, you know, obviously, I don't think this was a timed release, right? Like, uh, you know, we heard from Wendy earlier that, you know, uh, Binance claims to have no prior knowledge of this dropping when it did, right? So the idea that these came out on the same day is pretty, I don't know, fortuitous. And there's clearly a lot of questions around what it means for CZ's future at this company, right? He's still going to be a figurehead. He's still most closely associated with Binance, I'd say. But, you know, there could be a change in the guard in the works. Who knows? And obviously, some of that stuff is at play. You know, Tang himself in the piece sort of denies that there's any sort of 
changing the guard happening. There's many capable and talented executives at Binance helping steer the ship. But I think there's certainly going to be questions asked as to whether or not with the SEC action and with this new appointment, whether or not CZ's role will be minimized significantly. So curious to see what happens to CZ, what his role is going forward. But he'll likely remain the flagship and the figurehead of that brand. He's been pretty instrumental in shaping that company. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they enter their next chapter and with with whom at the helm. Uh, Wendy, what are your thoughts? I do want to say when I was sitting in on the policy meeting in Estonia, they were talking about how um, how France is like one of the safest places to go to as far as crypto asset regulation. They seem to be on the forefront of all this, which I was kind of surprised about it. So I did learn something and that is very true. Well, um, as far as the story goes, I mean, all that they're going to do, if they're just going to be replacing CZ with somebody else, it just seems kind of trivial. I understand why they have to do it. It's a PR move. It does look good. But at the same time, we're still not dealing with, we're still not tackling the issue with how the SEC is absolutely overreaching. And they're just kind of going after everybody. And they're basically telling people, you can run a stop sign, you can run, you can drive down a street, if there's no stop sign there, and then we add one later on, we can still go after you. And I think that that's very ridiculous. And it just makes America look stupid. It really does, because we're pushing out all this innovation instead of kind of bringing it in and bringing in some sort of safe harbor and helping them do the right thing. So again, I'm just very frustrated. And that's all. All right. Big story. Certainly a lot going on with Binance as this SEC suit develops. Attention crypto holders, moving crypto is seamless and secure with PayPal. With support for Bitcoin, ETH, and more, you can buy, sell, hold, send, and check out with crypto at millions of shops online. Not to mention, PayPal now supports the ability to send to and from external wallets and charges you nothing when transferring between PayPal and Venmo crypto wallets. Whether you're exploring the world of Web3 or hodling on for another day, PayPal is the convenient and simple way to convert dollars into crypto. PayPal has your back. They work to protect your financial info and give you confidence every step of your crypto journey. Now's the time to make your crypto move. Get started today at paypal.com slash crypto. Terms and conditions apply. Unfortunately, this block, we have some more sad news. Atomic wallet users hacked for 35 million worth of Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tether, and other tokens. Um, Atomic Wallet is a centralized storage and wallet service, and approximately $35 million worth of various tokens were stolen over the weekend. The largest victim was found on Tron with $7.95 million worth of USDT stolen. Atomic Wallet said the impacted users represented less than 1% of monthly active users. I wouldn't have came out and said that because it shouldn't be minimized. The fact that anybody was compromised is not necessarily a good thing. However, they did say they were investigating and analyzing the attack, but haven't released the specifics of attack. I've seen quite a few different things on crypto Twitter, and it looks like some of the sleuths have done a very good job as to stopping some of the stuff and communicating better than the actual company. So this is a very sad story. And again, you guys, paper wallets are generally the safest way to store any of your crypto. But the downside with that is you have to know how to use it and you have to be able to take full responsibility because there can be problems with that too, with losing your private seed phrase. Will, I want to toss this over to you. Wallet wars. I mean, it's always a different side of these things, right? If companies are going after each other, companies are breaking, we have these large hacks, they do occur. It's frustrating to see. Uh, we've seen a lot of comments on crypto Twitter. I think we need to wait to see like where the dust settles to understand this completely. That being said, I think this story just sort of shines light on like the different options in crypto custody. It's like a very boring topic, but it's important. You know, $35 million is not a small uh, lump of money here. And there's a lot of different coins that were hacked. Looks like Atomic supported tons of different coins. 
And so a lot of people could be affected here. If it was just like a Bitcoin only wallet or maybe just like an Ethereum wallet, something like that, you'd see like probably less impact because it would only hit one community. But here it's hitting a lot of different people. So that's always unfortunate. Uh, I think like a multi-sig or something like that, just cold storage is always like the best option for keeping your crypto safe. And that's what these stories always bring me back to. We'll have to see how the team responds to this. That'd be my last thought on it. Like communications part, PR part of this is everyone always messes this up. Like every single time there's a hack, they try to minimize it, try to downplay it. But the fact is your product was broken and they're probably going to have to redo a lot of it and maybe even ship new wallets to people. I'm not quite sure what their whole setup is. I'll throw it over to Jen. Yeah, you think the communications teams would learn by now. And I was thinking when I was reading this, it's like we have these wallet wars stories, but now it's just been wallet woes as of late, right? So I went off to the Atomic Wallet website. This wasn't on the main page. I think it was in their frequently asked questions or something. But the way they described Atomic Wallet was Atomic Wallet is a cold type wallet. All passwords and data are stored on the user's device and it's not kept on any server. So there's no custody risk or the possibility of losing funds through centralized services. The main risk in Atomic Wallet is if you lose your backup phrase or send it to another person. And so I think like, yes, while this may be factually true, we need to really prepare people for the different vulnerabilities that are associated with these different products. Because I don't think anyone thought that a a wallet would be hacked and then their funds would be lost. And then the company would come out and say, you know, it was actually just a very, very small percent of users who were affected. So I'm watching to see how they respond. Because the wallet companies right now are focused on this next era of users, right? Who want wallets to be easier. They want wallets to be safer. And they're launching all of these new products. So I think the right thing in this case to do would be to find a way to make these users whole again, whether that's recovering the funds or or shoring up funds to pay this less than 1% of users back. I think that that would be the right move. I don't know if they can do it. So it'll be interesting to see how they react and if they're able to recover from the attack. Zach? It's sad. It's sad. These are like significant sums that, you know, a handful of people have lost. And it's just sad to see this crop up time and time again. I mean, we can zoom out and say, hey, you know, it's a set of trade-offs and right, like, you know, you have risks that you take when you store assets on centralized funds, you have risk when you store them in uh, in hardware wallets. Um, but sometimes when, you know, those risks turn into worst case scenarios, it's really just sad to see these stories unfold time and time again with people who are probably with limited recourse, right? Like the hope is that, you know, the, the hacker gets these wallets banned before they can cash out in through exchanges or whatnot. But there are ways to sort of uh, go around that, right? So, uh, limited recourse in a world of self-custodied crypto assets. And it's something that is really sad for folks who probably thought they were doing their best to keep this stuff secure. They ultimately end up losing vast sums of money in a pretty notable incident. So to see this happen time and time again is a bit demoralizing. But again, a big picture, it is a set of trade-offs, right? You have to determine which risks you're willing to take when it comes to storing your assets, whether that's the risks on the counterparty side with a centralized exchange, or whether that's the risks associated with self-custody, be it through hacks or just user error. So it is, it is sad to see this stuff crop up time and time again. Anyway, I think that's it for this story. Let's change gears. Will, what do you got for us? I got the only positive story this morning from all you four the, of us. You got the volcano? Yeah, well, you got the laser the volcano story? story. Oh my, trying oh to bring my. us up on Monday. The energy is down. <laughs> okay, let's go down south to El Salvador. Talk about Bitcoin mining. A new company, Volcano Energy, announced a $1 billion commitment to build a 241 megawatt Bitcoin mine in El Salvador, according to a new press release. Tether, the largest stablecoin by market cap, is also investing in this project. It's going to bring about 15,000 machines down to El Salvador in order to mine Bitcoin using renewable energy, both solar 
and geothermal. So this, of course, follows up on El Salvador using Bitcoin as legal tender and also some previous mining announcements, basically trying to build like a full stack as a nation state. Kind of a cool thing. Wendy, I feel like you got to love this story. I actually do love it so much because it does bring a little bit of light to all the drama that we've seen. But it also goes to show that I feel like El Salvador has really played the underdog. People have kind of been trashing them, you know, the IMF, all these different public servant entities. Um, they're not happy about El Salvador and what President Bicali has been doing. But I think it's been absolutely amazing. Um, a lot of people have criticized him for the way that he is kind of, you know, governing um, that area. But at the end of the day, I do think that he does have good intentions for his people. He might not be doing things perfectly. But at the end of the day, I think it is important to at least try because we're not doing anything to try remotely to help our people in America. We're just kind of, you know, punishing people for not really doing a lot. And we've got a lot of problems here. So I always applaud somebody who's doing the best that they can. And again, you guys, I'm not saying he's perfect. I just love the efforts here. And I love the fact that everybody said Bitcoin's bad for the environment. But then Bikali came out and said, well, we're going to go ahead and use safe energy to harness our Bitcoin. And sure enough, they're doing it. And I want them to win. I'm happy for them. Is Tether going to be the one leading the charge on green Bitcoin mining in the next bull cycle? I mean, they're not only involved in the Volcano Energy Project, right? They're involved in renewable mining efforts in Uruguay, I believe they recently announced. They're going to be leveraging solar and wind power there. And I read a report that said they had job postings for Brazil and South Africa. And so any, well, you know, the mining story is just so boring to me, but anything to wow. do with renewable energy, I just love it. I think it's so cool. And it's, it's interesting to see Tether kind of, for me, from out of nowhere, dive really deep into this renewable mining. I think it's really cool. And so, Will, I guess my question to you here is, like, have they been doing this for a while? Are they diversifying? Could they be the ones to kind of lead this discourse and change the narrative um, around Bitcoin mining? Take a shot at me and then ask for a question. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's, that's how we that's do, how we we do it on the show, man. Questions, we fight, we make up. It all happens fair, right here. <laughs> no, I think, I think you're right. So I think there's going to be two different types of models for Bitcoin mining in the next five years. One is going to be this stranded energy, go find things that are really low cost. It's normally renewables. It's going to be in like weird jurisdictions in the countries you didn't think of, like Uruguay or South America, uh, South Africa, Kenya, stuff like that. Or you're going to have the big mines in Texas where they're not really Bitcoin miners, they're just energy sinks and they just like buy energy from the market. And then a few times a year when the market needs to buy energy back from them, that's when they make all their money and they're going to sell energy right back to the market. So almost like an energy reservoir. Uh, so that's the two type of models we're going to see in the future. And Tether and these other well-capitalized players who can't really get into the energy game, they're going to go to this stranded model. They're going to move all over the world just to be able to mine Bitcoin on cheap or non-monetizable energy for the first time. Zach? Yeah, it's really big and yeah, a bit odd bet by Tether, right? To go so hard into these investments around mining. Uh, it does seem a bit unexpected to me as well, Jen. So the fact that they're making this big bet to basically put a significant chunk of their business behind mining operations is fascinating to me, right? They're putting their money where their mouth is. That's it relates to their commitment to Bitcoin. They're, system they're like systemically important to the Bitcoin ecosystem. So it's interesting that they're doubling down on mining, I guess, especially at this point in the market cycle. So fascinating to watch. I'm reserving judgment on whether or not this all comes to pass. The volcano stuff got everyone all excited when it was first announced and has been sort of, I think, a bit more quiet in, of, uh, of late. So it's going to be interesting to see how this ultimately ends up manifesting itself rather than just like bullish Bitcoin or tweets about the volcano powering mining. <laughs> so going to be interesting to watch this one unfold on the ground. That's all I got. 
I have a question. Are the, are the Bitcoin maxis going to still hate Tether now that um, Tether is supporting um, Bitcoin? They've never, hated, they've never hated Tether, though. They hate so, everything that's not Bitcoin. The, see, that's the odd thing. With Tether, they like it because they, they know the only reason people can buy Bitcoin is through Tether. And so they've actively supported Tether. So that's like the one weird oddity. The people who don't like Tether are typically actually like journalists who really don't like the fact that Tether has been like not giving information very publicly. And Tether has been very combative as well. But Bitcoin maximalists, we know that you secretly like one Ethereum token, USDT. We know it. <laughs> it's true. Check the facts. Yeah. It's also on Check Tron, the by the way. <laughs> so that's a thing. So on a number of chains. It's the market's leading yeah. stable coin. By, it uh, is. By, by, maybe, yeah, maybe we can make BRC20 USDT. If we could try. Ooh. Put on liquid. No one Udi, where it. are you? Udi? Udi, where are you? <laughs> okay, right. Zach, take us away. I'm taking y'all away. Shutting it down. Yeah, Shut it big down. day out there. Anyway, thanks for being here on The Hash. I'm Zach. We got Will. We got Jen. We got Wendy. We'll be back tomorrow with more news stories. It's going to be fun. All right. Have a great day, everybody. See you later. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 